Happy Mother's Day to all the moms and the other mamas and grandmamas and aunties and all that good stuff. Uh, so this morning we are continuing. Hi, I'm sorry. <laughs> we are continuing on <laughs> in our and on the sermon series that we've been in on the resurrection. And we've basically been, you know, looking at the resurrection. And the language that we introduced early on was this, this language of preview. And so we've said that the resurrection is a preview of what is to come when Christ returns. And so if the resurrection is a preview, then there are some things we can learn about how we ought to live today. What, what does the resurrection tell us about the Christian life? So one thing that uh, Pastor David drove home last week is that the resurrection tells us that this now, here and now, between what was it, the cross and the throne, this here matters. Our bodies matter, right? The way we treat people matters. The things that we do now matters because the resurrection was real. So the resurrection calls us to lives of service. It calls us um, to be people who are mindful of the here and the now. Um, so when he was preaching, he said something at the start of his sermon that kind of struck me. And he said this phrase, he was setting up his, you know, where we, we, where we were going for the day, and he said, the cross is empty. And when he said that, it really struck me, because I, hadn't, I, I don't think I've ever heard anyone say the cross is empty. So we talk about the tomb being empty, and you hear that a lot in church. You hear that especially around the Easter time. The, the tomb is empty. Jesus got up from the grave. But you don't hear people say the cross is empty. So when I heard him say that, I felt bad because I pulled out my, my iPhone and started feverishly typing notes because it just it struck me. And I'm like, I hope people don't think I'm in here sending text messages during the sermon because that's not what I was doing. But it made me think about a question I hadn't thought about in a very long time. And that is, why the cross? Why did the cross become the symbol of our faith? And I think the reason I hadn't thought about it in a while is because, I mean, when I became a Christian, it I just sort of accepted it, right? I just sort of took the symbol for granted. And if someone had asked me that very question, why the cross, you know, before last week, I would have told them, you know, well, the cross reminds us that Jesus died and rose for our sins. That's what it's a reminder of. And that's, that's true. But the tomb does that too, right? Like an, it, nothing says conquered the grave like an empty, you know, grave. <laughs> so, so why don't we wear little tombs around our necks? I, it sounds crazy, I know. It sounds crazy to have a little open coffin. But, I mean, <laughs> but, but how much more crazy does, does that sound than wearing, you know, a symbol of you know, something that was a Roman torture device around our necks? I mean, how much more ridiculous is an open casket, an open tomb? So why the cross? What was it about the cross that was so captivating that those early Christians were drawn to it such that that became the symbol of who we are and our faith. Why the cross? And that's the question I want to answer for you today. I want us to explore why the cross and not the tomb. And what I want to submit to you is that the reason the cross became the symbol of our faith is because those early Christians understood that to fully understand our faith, to fully grasp the hope that is in the resurrection, we have to remember not just that Jesus died for us and rose for us. It's important that we remember how he died for us. 
See, because I don't think we can fully appreciate the resurrection until we take seriously the cross. And when I say the cross, I'm not talking about, you know, I'm not using it as a synonym for, you know, the death of Jesus. I mean the cross, the torture device, the thing that was a symbol of death and pain and humiliation, punishment, the cross. Now, I'm, I'm going to apologize in advance um, because as I was talking to my mother last night, it occurred to me. I knew it was Mother's Day, <laughs> but I had not thought about that as I was writing my sermon. So she reminded me that because it's Mother's Day, people may come here expecting to hear a particular kind of sermon. <laughs> um, and that is not going to be this kind of sermon. So uh, I apologize if that was what you wanted to hear. I'll try to do better maybe next year. Um, <laughs> but uh, what I want to do for you today is paint a picture of the death of Jesus, of the cross. Because I believe that there is something that is powerful about that and what it means for the resurrection and what it means for the hope that we have in the resurrection. And we're going to primarily be in the Synoptic Gospels today, and we're going to spend a little bit of time in um, John. But uh, I know your bulletins have a little blurb in there probably about various passages from Acts. That was the truth when I sent Pastor David my sermon texts and title on Thursday. It ceased to be the truth last night as I was uh, finishing up my sermon, so disregard that. Uh, we're going to be in the Gospels, and I'm, like I said, I'm going to paint for you a picture of the cross um, and like what I'm going to do, and it's going to be a little bit different, is I'm going to tell you the story of the crucifixion. And I'll be drawing on all four of the Gospels to do that. And when you read the Gospels, especially Matthew, Mark, Luke, and, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, what we call the synoptic Gospels, the story of Jesus' resur- crucifixion, resurrection, his ministry is very similar throughout. But each author told the story in a slightly different way, depending on the details that would have resonated with them based on who they were and the context that they were in and what they were trying to get the people who would hear that story to understand. And I think that when you hear that story, the story of Jesus' death put together, when you kind of can pull out pieces from all of the Gospels, you get a much more full picture of what actually happened. And so I want to encourage you guys, because it's not going to come on the screen, um, and I don't even want you to try to thumb through your Bibles. I really just want you to listen. But I encourage you to go back today and maybe thumb through, not thumb through, read the Gospels. (laughs) Go ahead and read the accounts of what each of these different authors says about the crucifixion of Jesus. So I'm going to start um, in Matthew, and I'm picking up at the story where Jesus has already stood before Pilate, and Pilate has found him innocent, said, you know, I don't, I don't find any fault with this man. But the crowd has said, absolutely not. We want you to crucify him. And so they demanded that Pilate release Barabbas. Barabbas, I always say that in a special way. But they've demanded that he be released, this man who was in fact guilty, and that Jesus be crucified. And so hear the word of God. So he, Pilate, released Barabbas for them, and after flogging Jesus, handed him over to be crucified. As they led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way from the country, and put a cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the barren women, 
the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if men do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided his clothes up and cast lots. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come on down from the cross, save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Christ, this King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama shabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, He's calling Elijah. One man ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes and takes him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last breath. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now it was the day of preparation and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. This is the word of God. So for those of us who have been in church for a long time, even some of those who haven't been in church but just been around Christians for a long time, um, this is a familiar story. And it's so familiar, in fact, that we can speed through it, a reading of it, without flinching. I think if we're honest, a lot of us respond to a reading or um, a hearing of the crucifixion of Christ the same way we respond to, like, you know, the genealogies in the Old Testament. We know that it's important but we don't really want to give it a careful reading. I think that that is a problem (laughs) because I think we miss something very important about our faith if we just gloss over the death of Jesus. So now to fully appreciate the cross, you have to understand a little bit about crucifixion. This was a very common practice and a very painful and agonizing method of capital punishment. The word excruciate, just to give you an idea of how painful it might have been, the word excruciate comes from the Latin, which means from the cross. It was a favored method of crucifixion, of capital punishment by the Romans, because it inflicted the absolute most pain you could inflict, the most humiliation you could inflict, and at the same time it struck absolute fear in the hearts of people who saw it happening. So it was a great deterrent against crime. So now let's take a closer look at this story. 
it begins with Jesus being flogged. And this was also very typical of the time. People who were going to be crucified were usually flogged first. And now when we hear flogged, we, we usually think of like whipped. And not that that's not a bad thing. Whipped is not good. But flogging was so much worse than whipped. The Romans would um, attach very sharp, jagged, you know, pieces of bone or metal to the ends of the whip when they would flog someone. So it was designed to literally rip the flesh from the body. Again, remember, the point of crucifixion was to inflict the maximum amount of pain and humiliation while at the same time striking fear in the hearts of those who looked on. So now, after being flogged, having the flesh ripped from your body, which alone could kill you, and in fact, that was sometimes used as a form of punishment, death by flogging. But for those who were going to be crucified after being flogged, if you were going to be crucified on a cross, and it, it didn't have to be a cross. Sometimes people were hung on a single beam. Other times people were impaled. But if it was going to be on a cross... It was common practice to make the person who was being crucified carry the, ver- the horizontal beam on their back to the place that they were going to be killed. So now, Jesus, after having been flogged, body broken, is now carrying a beam that could have easily weighed 100 pounds and has to walk to the place where he's going to be killed. Can you imagine the psychological thing that that does to you? Apart from the pain, on on one hand, you've got to be thinking that a person carrying that beam is wanting to be done with this journey. Your body hurts. This is painful. But at the same time, you know when you get to the end of the journey, you only face a more painful and agonizing death. Again, remember, the goal of crucifixion was to utterly humiliate the person while simultaneously inflicting the maximum amount of pain and striking fear in the heart of everyone who was watching. So scripture tells us that once they arrived at Golgotha, Jesus was crucified. Now, you know, the Gospel of John tells us, you know, his hands and his na- were nailed to the cross and his feet. And, um, and that's kind of the image that we have, Jesus hanging with nails in his hands and in his feet. But what actually happened was that nails would have been placed in his wrists and in his ankles on the cross. And then once he was nailed to the cross, which I can only imagine caused an extreme amount of pain, that cross was then hoisted up. So you can imagine now the full weight of this man's body would have been pulling and pushing against those nails. When we see pictures of the crucifixion, you see Jesus, you know, on the cross in a loincloth with, you know, cut and a little piercing on the side. That's not what Jesus would have looked like on the cross. He would have been covered in blood and he would have likely been naked. People didn't get loincloths when they were being crucified. They were hung naked on the cross because, again, remember, the point of crucifixion was to inflict the maximum amount of humiliation while at the same time inflicting the maximum amount of pain and striking fear in the hearts of everyone who was watching. So there's our Savior on a cross, body broken, bleeding, 
being mocked by people who were passing by. And if that physical pain was not enough, Scripture tells us that at the moment before his death, he experienced separation from God. And that's why he cries out, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Can you picture it? Close your eyes for a moment. Can you see it? Can you see his body on the cross? How could anyone believe that the Christian life is free from suffering? The very foundation of our faith is that we serve a God who took on flesh and died that kind of death. You can open your eyes. If that's not enough to convince you that in this life, as Christians, we will endure some pain, some hardship, then Jesus' word should be. I mean, he spent a great part of the latter, the latter part of his ministry trying to prepare his disciples. He would tell them, look, not only am I going to be taken from you, but you are going to suffer. You're going to endure some horrible things. He tells them that before he returns with all power in his hands, oh, Brycey, Brycey, sorry. Before he returns with all power in his hands, the people of God would experience tribulation and trials. And even as he's being led to the cross, Luke tells us that he was warning his followers that if the world, if people were willing to do that to him who was innocent, how much more would they do to us who are guilty? But the cross is empty. Say the cross is empty. In the last part of the, uh, the account that I read to you, um, I read a passage from the book of John. And John tells us that at some point, the people came to Pilate and they asked him to remove the bodies from the cross. They didn't want them to still be there when the Sabbath happened. And so Pilate agreed and he sent soldiers out there. And the soldiers broke the legs of the people who were on the cross, who were still alive, and they didn't break Jesus' leg. So what's going on there? See, not only was the crucifixion an extremely painful way to die, it was an extremely slow way to die. It did not happen instantaneously. Again, remember, maximum pain, utter humiliation, strike fear in the hearts of onlookers. So it was common practice for soldiers to come and break the legs of people who were on crosses and had not died yet, because this would speed up the process of death. Not only would it speed up the process of death, but it was, it was a horrifying thing to watch happen. Because you can imagine if your legs are broken and you're doing the best you can to try to support your weight, immediately your body collapses on this cross. Your body that is nailed collapses on this cross. The way John tells the story allows us to see something that I think is really easy to miss um, when we hear it in Matthew Mark and Mark, because we don't, you know, we don't know much about crucifixion. So that doesn't, we don't know what that image is, right? So the way Matthew and Mark tell the story, Jesus breathes his last breath and then he dies. He cries out, he breathes his last breath and then he dies. And Luke gives us a little bit more detail, right? Luke tells us that he commended his spirit into the father's hands. Then he breathed his last breath and died. 
But I think if you hear Luke's account, it's still easy to believe that, you know, Jesus kind of knowing that he was right at the end, commended his spirit to the Father, and then went on and died. Kind of like a person who is Catholic, I imagine, on their deathbed receiving their last rites. But John makes it clear. See, the cross is empty. When the soldiers got to Jesus, after having broken the legs of the folk, the man on the left and the man on the right, Jesus was already dead. Jesus should not have already been dead. Death by crucifixion took a really long time. It could take days to die because the point of the crucifixion was to inflict the maximum amount of pain while at the same time utterly humiliating the person being crucified and striking fear in the hearts of those who were looking on. When we talk about the resurrection, we we often talk about the fact that Jesus conquered death, and he absolutely conquered death. There's nothing that says conquered death like walking out of a tomb after having been dead for three days. He conquered death. But that's not all Jesus conquered. And I can imagine some of you are thinking, well, I know that. He also conquered sin. That's That's what the word says. And yes, right? He conquered sin. The sin of of all of humanity was placed on him and crucified with him. And that's why we can stand before God uncondemnable, as Pastor Peter likes to say. (laughs) Yes, he conquered sin. He conquered death. But death and sin are not all that Jesus conquered. (laughs) See, if you don't believe that, and I think some of you may, (laughs) hear this passage One verse from Matthew 27, it's a response that the onlookers had at the moment that Jesus died. In verse 54, it says, When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. The point of the crucifixion was to utterly humiliate the person. Now, our scripture tells us that on the cross, Jesus was forgiving people of sins. Crucifixion was designed to inflict the maximum amount of pain. But what John tells us is that Jesus on that cross decided when it was enough. People who saw crucifixions were fearful, tremendously fearful of the power of the Roman government. But at the point of Jesus' death... Our Bible tells us that people were struck with fear at the power of God. See, Jesus conquered more than sin and death. Jesus conquered the cross. And John makes it plain when he says that from the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. Getting up from the grave, that was the easy part. (laughs) See, new community, just to make it a little bit more plain, the good news was never that, you know, once we accept Christ, we will not have suffering. No, the good news was that we have a Savior who conquered sin, death, and the cross. The resurrection is not just a preview of what's to come when Jesus returns. It's a reminder to us that the cross is empty. It reminds us that trials and tribulations we face are not random. We face them because we serve God and we live in a broken world. But the resurrection reminds us that Jesus, God, will always accomplish his will. If the cross could not defeat our Lord, do you think that gun violence can? 
If the Son of God was able to endure torture, death, descent into hell, and then rise with all power in his hand, do you really believe that our God is sitting up in heaven going, oh, my Lord, now what are we going to do about these budget cuts to education? No, absolutely not. Our God is no more at a loss of how to think, make things right today than he was over 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ was hanging body broken and bloody from a Roman cross. See, new community, we will experience suffering. In that respect, absolutely nothing has changed. The exact same spirit that inspired people to demand Jesus' death, the same spirit that touched the imagination of humanity such that we could even fathom a mechanism of killing someone as brutal and painful as a cross, that spirit is alive and well today. But the cross is empty. The cross is empty. Um, when I was 16 years old, 15 years old, actually, I went to live with my dad in Cincinnati, Ohio. Now, um, some of you know that I grew up in California with my mom and my dad. Don't be confused. I was raised primarily by my stepfather, but my biological father lived in Cincinnati. So um, I love them both, and I call them both dad, and that confuses a lot of people. But that's what it is. So I'm in Cincinnati, and I had just gotten there, and I wasn't very pleased about my situation because my dad, who is a Christian and was then, was requiring me on every Sunday to go to church. Um, and I, I didn't appreciate it. So I'm, I'm at home one day, and I'm watching the news, and there's a story on about the KKK. So this immediately struck my attention because I had never heard a story on the evening news about the Ku Klux Klan I don't know that I believed at that time that the Ku Klux Klan was still in operation like today. So I'm, I was fascinated. I'm watching this story. And um, the story was a follow-up to something that had been going on. And apparently, the Klan, in response to something, had decided to erect a cross in downtown Cincinnati somewhere. And there was a whole lot of uproar. People didn't want them to do it. And there was back and forth, and the city had said they couldn't. And so after a whole lot of, you know, protests on both sides, the city finally, um, I guess, you know, gave in to, to free speech and uh, allowed them to erect this cross. So all this had already happened, you know, before my brother and I got to Cincinnati. But what they were reporting on that night was that um, churches, in response to this, were getting busloads of people to come down to, to this place where this cross was that the Klan had put up and pray. And so they had all these images of, like, you know, black people and white people and Asian people and Latino people singing in front of this cross that the Klan had um, erected. Uh, now, some of you may be having, you know, an, an appropriate response and think, oh, how powerful. That's deep. I was, can you say, I don't know if you can say, I was upset. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was not in any way, shape, form, or fashion moved by that story. I was sitting there, and I, I knew, because they're they kind of going through what had been going on, and I was expecting the story to be, and all of these people, black, white, brown, and yellow, got together and marched down there and tore that sucker down, and then <laughs> dared the Klan to raise it again. That's the story that I was expecting. That would have made sense in my mind. So I'm sitting there, and I'm watching this, and I'm like, this is crazy. Surely my dad will think this is crazy, too. 
And he will understand why I should not have to go to church every Sunday because this makes no sense. And I should not have to participate in this mess. So I was excited. I'm like, when he comes home, I'm telling him this. And he gets home, and I let him walk in the door and get halfway settled. And I, so I go in, and I'm like, did you know that da 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 and the clan they put up this cross? And Christians are going down there and praying in front of the cross. And I knew that I had just, like, that was a smoking gun. And we were, you know. And he looked at me and he said, I know. I was thinking about going down there and praying myself. Dead in my face, he said that. And so I said, <laughs> I looked at him. And I said, I'm like, are you, what, why? Why would you do that? And he said to me, he's like, well, Michelle, you know, the cross was, I mean, it wasn't always a Christian symbol. It was a, a torture device. And Jesus' death on the cross transformed it into something else. And so people going down there and praying, they're transforming this thing that the Klan meant to be, you know, a, a symbol of hate into something that is unifying. Now, I thought about that story as I was preparing this sermon because, I mean, at the time, I walked away from our interaction thinking that my dad and his faith were absolutely ridiculous and crazy. But I now realize the power in what he said. See, the cross is empty. Why the cross and not the tomb? Because the promise, the hope of the resurrection is that God is able to breathe life and transformation into the dead places of our lives. The cross ought to embolden us to look the devil in the face and say with boldness that comes from the Holy Spirit, take your best shot. The cross reminds us that there is absolutely no depravity, there is no devastation, there is no suffering that is beyond the transformative power of God. Those of you who teach in Chicago public schools and have to deal with students, seeing your students suffer through things that kids should not have to suffer through, the cross ought to remind you that there is no amount of loss, there is no amount of despair that is beyond the reach of the transformative power of God. For those of you who are struggling in silence with addictions and feeling utterly defeated, the cross should remind you that there is no sin, there is no failure, there is no amount of shame that is beyond the transformative power of our God. For those of you dealing with loss or longing of any kind, the cross ought to remind you that there is no sadness, no despair that is beyond the transformative power of our God. See, New Community, as we go forward and we want to do ministry in this community and in this city, in this world, the cross should remind us that there is no thing and no one that is beyond the transformative power of our God. We have crosses today. Poverty, violence, corruption, injustice of every kind, those are our crosses. And Jesus' resurrection reminds us that we have victory over every single one of them. Where you see darkness, where people see darkness and hopelessness, that cross reminds us absolutely not. Because the cross is empty. That is the lesson of the cross. That is the hope of the resurrection. So when you see a cross, you ought to feel empowered 
When you see a cross, you ought to know that God, through the Holy Spirit, has given you absolutely everything you need to walk victorious in this world. We can do the things that we have been called to do. We have the victory. That is the hope of the resurrection. Amen. The worship team can come on up. (laughs) And if you guys will bow your heads and just pray with me. Jesus. Hmm. Jesus. God, I thank you that you have conquered the cross. God, my prayer is that you would make that real for each and every person that is in this room. I pray, Lord, that during this week, you would speak that message, Lord. I pray, God, that you would reveal different layers of that, that we would find hope and encouragement in it. Not that you have promised we won't have crosses, but that the cross cannot conquer us because you conquered the cross. Lord, I thank you so much for your Holy Spirit that dwells in each and every one of us. God, I pray your blessing on these people, on myself. Make this real for us, God. I pray for those who need encouragement right now in the name of Jesus. I ask that they be encouraged. Holy Spirit, comfort or comfort. I pray, God, that you speak peace, Lord, to people who are in utter despair right now. I thank you that there is deliverance for people who are in bondage right now. God, I release that in the name of Jesus. I ask that not one of us will walk out of this room the same way that we walked in because you conquered the cross. Chains be broken, lives be healed, eyes be opened, Christ is revealed. The cross is empty. Be blessed in the community. Amen.